he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They got up, oops, sorry, verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Why don't we pray, church? Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much that uh, we are forgiven. We look at the cross and we are forgiven of all our sins, of all our failures, of all our shortcomings. God, it is in you that we can be restored to relationship with you. And not only that, we can enter into such an incredible journey of walking with you, our God, our creator here on earth. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity now to to hear from your word. We pray, Lord, that this moment would be transformative, would be an encounter with you, Lord Jesus. We pray for the numb hearts, for the indifferent hearts, for the broken hearts, for the bored hearts this morning, that you would do something special with your word. You would leave us changed by the power of your Holy Spirit as we reflect on the risen Jesus Christ. So we pray, um, God, you give me the words to say. And, um, Lord, we, we're really excited about what you're going to do in, in this next little while. So, God, we commit it into your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go through a couple of moments. And the first set of moments we're going to talk about are the moments of despair. Put yourselves in the shoes of the two disciples momentarily. They've, they've gone through quite a whirlwind. Uh, they've, they've, they've spent time with Jesus for, for a couple of years They've seen a rather astonishing life that he lived. He healed others. He provided groundbreaking teaching about the Jewish law and and what it means to to be a human being, ultimately. He delivered others from, from demons. He encouraged. He inspired. And then he died a brutal and undeserved death on a cross. So these two disciples, they're going along. One of them's called Cleopas. We actually don't know the name of the other guy. Um, we're not sure what they're doing. Uh, are they off to do business? Uh, are they catching up with friends? We don't know for sure. And perhaps this is intentional from Luke. Perhaps he's trying to demonstrate that they're walking around a little aimlessly. Because this story focuses on the topic of, of conversation. And it's clear that they're in a bit of an uh, emotional wreck. Uh, So we enter the story, verse 14. 
And it talks about them talking with each other about everything that happened. So they're recapping, they're reflecting. Things haven't particularly gone to plan or to script. As friends of Jesus, I would have thought they'd be pretty devastated. You know, if you lose a close friend, at the very least, they would have wished that he could have stuck around a little more, just as a good mate, but also because he was changing the world. And for him to die such a brutal death, just put yourself in the shoes of, of his closest friends. It would be quite sad. So they're walking along, they're discussing, they're recapping, and all of a sudden the mysterious third character comes along. And the, and the way the story is written, we, we know as the reader who, who this person is, but the disciples don't. Um, and in, in finance, have to, have to drop in a finance analogy, this is called information of symmetry, right? where one party has better information than the other party, as the reader here, um, we know exactly who it is. It's Jesus. But the disciples don't. And it, it forces us to empathize with, with the disciples. We try, and, we try and get into their mindset. So what does Jesus do? He, he quizzes them. Verse 17. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And it's here they stop. And we learn in verse 17, their faces are downcast. They weren't even sure where they were going, what they were doing. And the simple question from Jesus, what what are you talking about? It's enough to make them stop. They just lost a friend two days ago. This is a man who'd spent the last few years in their fellowship. And he was taken away pretty violently and abruptly and unfairly. And the fact that they, they stand there in their downcast, it shows that they're in despair, and rightly so. I love this about Jesus. He, he's there, and his deep love and care for you and me, he, he's right there, and he asks the question. Right? He, even though he knows the answer, he doesn't ask too much, he doesn't pry too much, but he puts forward an intelligent and open question. What are you, what are you discussing? This is, this is our Jesus in action. He, he walks alongside us. He, he comes beside us even in our moments of, of discouragement and sadness. He invests in us even when he knows the answers and we don't. And he journeys with us in moments of despair to help us find him and to find truth. So there's this despair that they're feeling because they've lost a friend. But in verse 21, we learn that there's a, another layer of despair. Verse 21 They said, we'd hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. So a bit of history lesson here. Uh, Prior to the time of Jesus, the nation of Israel had undergone centuries of political instability and persecution. In several moments in their history, they didn't even have a land to live in. And so this arrival of of Jesus, this powerful, all-knowing, awesome, loving prophet was going to change everything for them. It's like, yes, our Savior is here. He was great in word and deed. He was going to restore Israel to their, um, to their glory. Jesus was their national hope, Israel's national hope. And, and in some ways, it's much like when a, a significant influential figure dies um, yeah, in the modern day. This is obviously sad for the people who are close to that 
person. Think of someone like Nelson Mandela or Princess Diana. It's a source of deep pain, but it's for the, for the individuals who are family or friends of that person. But it's also a source of deep pain for the entire nation, all the people who place hope in this person. So, so personally, they're in despair, and nationally, they had lost hope. This isn't how God wants us to live. And it's not how we ought to live either. And so the issue with the disciples is they're stuck. They're stuck in between Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday. They're stuck in this intervening period. For them, Jesus was still dead to them. And so no wonder they were in despair. They'd failed to see like, what God had done for them and why it mattered. They were forgiven of their sins, and more than that, Jesus had risen from the grave, and he was, he was literally having a conversation with them. And so it makes me ask the question, are you and I stuck between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? I don't, I don't mean this literally, but you know, over the course of the year, you know that you're forgiven of, of your sins. You know that you have a relationship with God. You fail, you fall short, you know you're forgiven. But that's really as far as the Christian walk ever goes. You're in a, a vicious cycle of sin, of mediocrity, of boredom, of feeling inadequate or not enough or unworthy, or you're just getting swept up in the things of the world. You hear a gospel message, maybe at Christmas, maybe at Easter, great, he died for my sins. But there's nothing else to it. There's no power, there's no triumph, there's no life, there's no change, there's no motivation, there's no mission, there's no impact. That, that's why today is so important, church, Resurrection Sunday. It means we move beyond that moment between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. It means in our spiritual walks that we move beyond our habits, our comforts, our lifestyles, and we step into God's abundant life that he has called us into. We can't be stuck in this period between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We need to live in the reality of a post Easter Sunday world, where we know that Jesus rose from the grave and that we can be triumphant, we can be victorious, and as it says in Romans, we can be more than conquerors, just like he is. If we're stuck in these moments of despair, our lives will no longer be triumphant. They aren't full of life. We focus on our failures rather than our advances that we could be making for God's kingdom. And the moments of despair dominate our thinking. I often think about this when we're at prayer meeting, actually, and we, and we go around and we share some prayer points. And I'm all for praying for the sick. Let's absolutely do that. I'm all for praying for just issues and struggles we're dealing with. But why don't we shift the dynamic of our prayers and actually advance in ground? Let's pray for people that we're reaching out to. Let's pray for our church that we take ground in this community. Let's pray really bold um, and faith-filled prayers. Let's not get stuck praying defensive and and passive prayers. The resurrection is crucial. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Paul got this point. It's like, we don't have a gospel if we don't have a resurrection from the grave. So 1 Corinthians 15, um, verse 12. (coughs) Verse 12. But it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, if it is preached, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is raised, has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. See, these moments of despair for the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus is their starting point, and it's, it's similar for us. I mean, Pastor Joe shared about this on Friday, where we have to go through, we have to go through Good Friday to get to Easter Sunday. Um, and we need to recognize we need Christ. We can't get by by ourselves, but we can't get stuck. All right, so let's move on to point two, uh, moments of discovery. Moments of despair, moments of discovery. On the road to Emmaus, the two disciples undergo moments of discovery where the identity of Jesus becomes clearer to them. The mysterious third figure, who who we know to be Jesus, information and symmetry, has given them enough of an opportunity to express their sadness and, and despair about events. It's time for Jesus to take them on a bit of a journey. And in these moments, we discover that what they know about Jesus is not complete. They only had, p- like, part of the picture. And, and part of the picture isn't, isn't enough when it comes to appreciating the gospel message. So Jesus, he comes out swinging, gloves are off, verse 25. Let's turn back there. In Luke 24, verse 25, he says, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Foolish, slow, it's pretty harsh um, from Jesus. Uh, why, has he been so, why has he been so harsh? Um, Jesus is, is a- applying the message of the Old Testament here. So the portion of this, this book before the time of Jesus, which is actually about two-thirds of this book. And this is the text that in part summarizes the history of Israel. And Jesus says, you've, you've got that text. You've read it. I'm right here in front of you. You are foolish and you are slow. What, why? Why so harsh? Well, there's been a line of, of prophets in this book that have warned of this day or, or foretold of this day for many years. And you just don't get it. You are blind, is what Jesus says. You've had everything you need to interpret what's going on. And you just don't see it. So Jesus is obviously frustrated, he's obviously disappointed, and if you're anything like me in a situation where somebody just doesn't get it, uh, I would get pretty irritated and annoyed, particularly in a work setting, and I wouldn't respond the way Jesus does, which in verse 27, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So instead of saying, you're foolish and slow and buggering off and, you know, running back to Jerusalem, he takes the time to be with them in the moments of discovery. And again, this shows the sort of, the, the sort of God we have, the sort of son of God that we serve. He is loving, he is caring, he is attentive. He took the time to walk them through the scriptures, start to finish. He explained the, the meaning of Good Friday and no doubt what Resurrection Sunday meant. 
And it, it encourages me because when we, as Christians or as people discovering more about Jesus or God, make a positive decision to learn more about him, he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He gives us this book. He gives us each other to go on that journey of discovery together. Now, I'd love to have been a fly, there's no wall on the road to Emmaus, but you know, a fly in the vicinity, you know, with super hearing, and, and, and hear what Jesus was, was talking to them about. Uh, we don't know specifically, but we've got some clues. In verse 26, he says this, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Have to suffer. Pretty, pretty forceful statement. Jesus had to suffer. Jesus is saying, this is the only way you and I could be delivered from our moments of despair. Yeah, each of us, we have things that are good about us. And, and no doubt, we all commit to be good people. Never heard someone said, I, I want to be a bad person. But our moral failures, our selfishness, our greed, our pride, our lack of empathy for others, we add them up together, and when we add them all up and we compare ourselves to who God is, we're nowhere near his standard of purity and perfection. In other words, we're sinners. And so when Jesus in verse 26 says, I had to die, I had to suffer these things, that's the gospel message in a, in a nutshell. Jesus had to die because we couldn't pay that price ourselves. And it applies to every single human being on this earth, every single person in this room. No matter how good we are or think we are or what we've done, we need Jesus' death on the cross to pay the price that we could not. One prophet who knew this was Isaiah. And John has shared this in MC a few days ago. Isaiah 53, you don't need to turn to it. Verse 4, it says, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This, this is the message of, of Good Friday, that he had to die on the cross for us so that we could be restored into relationship with God. Never forget that, church. It's not your own efforts, your valiant efforts that restore you into relationship with God. Coming to church every week, coming to church, um, you know, at Christmas or Easter, fine. They're good. They're not the pathway, though, to, to being restored in relationship with God. They help us to learn more about God. They don't pay the price, though. If you're new, if you haven't heard this before, I pray this is a set of good news for you. If you desire to have God in your life, there's nothing you need to do to earn that gift of love. Simply say, I trust you, I place my faith in you, and, and Jesus has done the rest. He already has. It is and always will be the death of Jesus on the cross for us that restores the relationship between us and God. And, and when we power on in our own strength, and, and we do this, we struggle with a sin, we 
uh, just get carried away with our own um, lives. We're, we're rejecting our need for God, and we're actually de- deeming his death unnecessary. It's, it's as though he suffered and died for nothing. Whenever we think all the ministry we're doing at church, all the, things, all the good things we're doing, even outside of church, make us worthy before God, we are dismissing the lengths that Jesus went for us, as though he didn't even need to die, as though we could have made our own way and built our own bridge to God. Jesus provides a few more clues. So he talks about why he had to suffer. Sorry, Luke provides more clues. But from verse 27, if you want to flick your eyes back down the page, we get, we get a time window of uh, what Jesus is, is covering. And Jono and I were, were joking about this uh, upstairs um, before the service. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Um, we've been doing PTC as a little class preliminary theological certificate, and we're doing exactly that, actually, and uh, it's taken us uh, like two and a half months so far, and we've only just finished the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know how efficiently Jesus did it um, in in verse 27, but what Jesus was explaining in a nutshell is that the Old Testament looked forward to this person of Jesus, not just to his death on the cross, but to the fact that he was going to be a national hope. He was going to be a powerful king who led Israel into triumph. When you turn with me to Isaiah 40, it's the last bit of flicking we'll do, I think. Isaiah 40. Flick or press buttons to get there. Uh, Verse 10 in Isaiah 40. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He gathers, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And the key there is in verse 10 where it says the Lord will come with power and rule with a mighty arm. So this is a promise, church, to to Israel and, and to you and me that God was going to do something about the suffering of his people. And no doubt Jesus, when he was walking along with them on the road to Emmaus, and, and remember, Jesus, um, the disciples still don't know that it's Jesus. They were being explained to, or Jesus was explaining that he was going to be the one that led them out of suffering. And it wasn't going to look like the way they had expected. So the problem with the disciples is they probably expected something that looked similar to their culture. So at the time that this is written, the Roman Empire is in power, and I imagine their expectations of what power, of what deliverance looked like, was highly militarized. Rome were going around and conquering everybody. And that, that's how you got things done. That's how you restore your glory. You build a big army and you go and conquer people. And, and perhaps this is one of the reasons why Jesus, sorry, the disciples can't identify Jesus because they're in this mindset that um, you know, this, this ruler is going to be this military like Caesar-like figure. Their idea of, of 
of Jesus coming, of, of God delivering them, didn't exactly involve somebody dying on the cross and, and rising again three, day, three days later. It's a bit, bit out of the ordinary. So I sympathize with the, with the disciples here. So Jesus, he meets them in this, in this moment of discovery. He, he walks them through the scriptures. He says, you've got it wrong. You, you, you clearly don't know God well enough. You clearly don't read your Bible well enough. You're too influenced by your surrounding culture and environment, and it's prevented you from seeing me. And Jesus wanted to correct this. And, and the fact that I sympathize or empathize with the disciples means that I probably have the same struggle today in my Christian walk. Am I, am I struggling to experience the power of Jesus in, in my life? Am I, am I not reading the Bible closely or, or personally enough to grasp what it means to have Christ in my life? Has my understanding of, of God's rule and kingdom been too influenced by you know, our culture? How do we understand power? Have we lost sight of the power of God at work? The God who rose from the grave, who triumphs over death, he gives us the Holy Spirit to spread his, his gospel. And, and like the two disciples, are we completely missing what God is, is doing right in front of us? Church, are you, are you still receptive to, to hearing what God wants to do in your life? Do you have that hunger and that curiosity, the openness that these disciples were trying? They were trying their best. Or is your heart numb to the things of God? Have you strayed so far from him that you can't even hear his voice anymore? Are you so filled with head knowledge that the gospel truths have, have lost meaning and impact? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. And let's be, let's be attentive just like the disciples were because even though they were having this epic conversation and Jesus is like literally walking them through the scriptures and he's, he's right there, they, they still can't recognize him. And so it leads me to my final point. We've had moments of despair, moments of discovery. I tried long and hard to find a word starting with D and I couldn't. Um, moments of encounter. We all need a personal encounter with Jesus. We all need to see his reality in our lives. And we need to constantly encounter him. Not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over again. We need to be experiencing and encountering the Lord Jesus. Back to the verse. Verse 28, Luke 24. We read in verse 28 and 29. In true Grace Christian Church fashion... They invite Jesus for some food. As they were approaching the village, verse 28, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, potluck dinner, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus wanted to go, apparently. Um, But they convinced him to stay. And this is the crucial moment in the story. So buckle up, pay attention. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. So this is the act of communion, the one we just did um, 15, 20 minutes ago, the one we did on Friday as well. And this is the moment that the disciples are finally unblinded. They finally recognize that 
In fact, Jesus is staring them in the face. The turning point is the act of, of breaking bread. It's communion. Something about this moment that changed everything. Something special happened. Something miraculous happened. And the act of breaking bread um, was actually something Jesus had done previously in two chapters beforehand. I believe somebody shared uh, from it on, on Friday in, in Luke twenty two nineteen. It says, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, body do it in remembrance of me. So, so the act of breaking bread was an act of remembrance. In the same way we hold Anzac Day, for example, or remember the soldiers who fought for our country, the simple act of, of breaking the bread was intended to turn people back to Jesus. This is, this is the turning point, their encounter, and it's only in this, in this moment that their past events start to make sense. It was Jesus who was talking to them the whole time. Verse 32. And this is, this is I mean, if you haven't pay, been paying attention so far, this is, this is the key passage today. Verse 32, Luke 24. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So only once they'd had this moment of encounter could they look back at, at their moments of despair and their moments of discovery and realize their hearts had been burning that whole time. What are their hearts burning with? We get an idea of what their hearts burn with by the immediate activities that they carry out after figuring out it's Jesus. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two disciples told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They go and they tell others about it. They testify, they tell a story. All of a sudden, they're no longer stuck between Easter Sunday and Good Friday in their despair. They're not stuck at Bible studies or discovering more and more, filling themselves up with head knowledge. They're filled with passion and desire, and they're on a mission. They've got a hope. You remember how we talked about the national hope that Israel was looking for? All of a sudden, they, they found it, and it was this man who had risen from the grave, better than any Roman uh, emperor. They were burning with passion. There was something about Jesus that, that got them excited. The excitement that had built up during the time of ministry would only continue now because Jesus was alive. They were satisfied. He was able to satisfy their every need and every desire. In that moment, they were complete. They were content. There was nothing else they needed to do or live for. Um, there was nothing else they needed to turn to in terms of sin they had someone to live for in that moment. And they were burning with purpose. They had a mission. Go tell others about Jesus. And they carried it out. They didn't get sucked into the culture around them. They didn't wait any longer for more hope, more knowledge. Jesus had come. He delivered them from their sins. He'd risen from the grave. He'd shown them leadership. And now it was time for them to step up and, and get going. And, and I thought about this question, if, I'm, if in my Christian life I'm not telling others about Jesus, 
then I'll have to question whether I'm encountering or experiencing him in my own life. Right, so that's a challenge for us yeah, from an evangelism perspective, from sharing with our non-Christian friends and family. If, if we're not following this trajectory that these disciples follow, we need to seriously consider how, how legitimate our Christian walks are. How, how much are we encountering Jesus in our lives? Ask yourself the question, when, when did you first encounter Jesus? When did you first have that moment of encounter? Or you get to have that moment of encounter. Today's a great chance to do that. One of the key moments from this passage is that it is these encounters with Jesus that need to continue every day of our Christian lives. They can't be one-off events. And so I'm going to share, as I sometimes do, a bit of my story. Um, If you were here during Christmas, great. Uh, I shared my first encounter with Jesus uh, where I came to church 2006, I learned that Jesus loved me. I learned I didn't need to earn his forgiveness. I learned I could place my faith in him and, and experience all these gifts and eternal life. Had so many great times in youth group, and I grew a lot in this church, in this very church for 10 years or more. 2006, how long is that? 13 years. The challenge for me has been not to sit on my hands and go, oh, how great it was 2006 when I experienced Jesus. I've, in my own life, pers- I've had to keep pushing. How can I keep growing in my faith? How can I keep living out my passion for the Lord Jesus? How can I constantly encounter Jesus? So as some of you are aware, I am about to move uh, overseas. And if not, uh, surprise. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm moving to Bangkok, uh, Thailand, in two weeks, two and a half weeks. And, and this move, this decision to go, is not a last-minute decision. It's a culmination of, of a lot of things God has been doing for the last five years, I would say. And if I'd sat on my hands and done what everyone else was doing and been comfortable, for me, my life would have taken a very different path. Five years ago, I decided to do something a bit weird. Uh, I went on the medical mission trip. Uh, I work in finance. It's a bit strange. But God used that trip to reveal himself to me in ways I had not uh, encountered him before and where I felt my heart burning for this people of Cambodia and and really the, the whole region of Southeast Asia. Uh, my background's half Thai, half Vietnamese. My mom's Thai, dad's Vietnamese. Mum is conflicted that I'm going back to Thailand, um, where, where she left many years ago, but more on that another time. I, I saw in Cambodia uh, a people who had suffered and experienced the worst evil I've ever witnessed. Um, and I'm walking around these prisons and... Um, you know, some of the museums, etc. And, and I'm thinking, like, God, like, how, how are these people, how are they supposed to know you through this? If they've experienced this evil, surely they would question that you exist, God. And, and so for me, I've carried that moment, uh, that burden, uh, for, for many years. And it's this personal encounter with Jesus that has 
um, burned ever since. So with this newfound hope, well, hope's probably the wrong word, burden for the region, uh, it led me to a season in Canada, which is really great that I've got some friends from Canada here to prove I actually went, um, where I, I studied the Bible for a year. And you know, in that experience, it led me to understand that where God had placed me in finance, in government, was something he could use. I mean, the idea of teaching English or studying um, or teaching the Bible or planting churches was great. How much more if I could use my role in government and finance, infiltrate influential people, do some amazing work for the kingdom of God and pass the people who would never hear the gospel otherwise. That's what I learned at Regent. And it led me back here two and a half years ago and I've had such a great time here building on relationships, um, sharing with you up here um, and, and, and building friendships and continuing to make an impact uh, in my workforce. But it leads me now to Thailand in two weeks and um, I would appreciate your prayers uh, for, the, for you to keep me accountable actually um, because I know Thailand's a place of um, rapid growth and uh, temptation. So I, I pray that you would keep me in your prayers um, and keep me accountable to the why of my move. I'm moving to go on mission for Jesus, right? even though I'm going to a private firm. So I'm taking up a role in finance there. Um, and and that's, that's cool, but um, I'm there to, to do what I do here, which is spread the gospel. It's not because I'm bored here. Um, it's what I believe God is calling me to do. So, you know, the encouragement to you guys is to, to take what we've learned today in, in the road to Emmaus on this Resurrection Sunday where we've had the opportunity to remember the gospel message once more and, and ask yourself some of these questions and, and, and count the cost. And if I can... To give you a guarantee at all, it's worth it. It's worth it to uh, be a little different. It's worth it to be a bit weird amongst your friends. It's worth it to be weird here um, because God, living for God, there's no other way. Uh, he brings this satisfaction that you could never find in, in a mediocre Christian life or even in a life without Christ at all. Are you stuck in your moments of despair? Have you realized your need for Him and His forgiveness? Or are you stuck? Um, unable to press on. Turn, turn to Jesus this morning. You swirling around in, in moments of discovery. His church become this endless cycle of, of accumulating head knowledge. Remember this simple message. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. He wants the best for you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And lastly, has it been too long since you, you actually encountered Jesus? In a, in a life-transforming way. Jesus wants to meet with you, even if that's this morning, and I'll shortly ask the prayer team up to, to come and, and, and we, can, we can pray that, that Jesus would encounter you this morning. Last little thought. The, these moments of encounter don't have to be groundbreaking. They don't actually need to be like going on a mission trip to Cambodia. They can be waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning maybe half an hour earlier than you would, and opening up your Bible, getting on your knees and praying, asking God to reveal himself to you. That's it. It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as coming along to this hike on, on Saturday, um, serving uh, in this 
what are we calling it? The dinner, the women's serving dinner event. <laughs> Progressive dinner, yep. It can be as simple as those things. So don't, I also don't want you to be intimidated. Like your story is different to mine. It doesn't need to be um, this groundbreaking trip to Cambodia. And in fact, that trip happened five years ago. And then for five years, I've just been doing you know, little things here at church and just trying to be helpful. And the same applies to, to each of us. So why don't I ask the um, worship team to, to come up? Ask the worship team to come up. We'll sing a final song. And then Joe's asked me to, to close the service today as well. Uh, as I do that, I'll ask some of the prayer team to, to come up. And, um, yeah, just take the opportunity to respond uh, this morning if, if you would like to do that. Uh, there's plenty of people up here to pray with you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share. And I, I hope I could share with you again um, sometime in, you know, when I come back to Australia every now and then. So um, I'll hand over to the worship team. Why don't we stand? Won't you sing with us?
forgiven, the sinner's Savior, crown him forever. For the Lamb who was saved, he is
actually ask the prayer team to, to come up as, as we pray as well. Uh, thanks, guys. Heavenly Father, we declare and confess that you are Lord in our lives. And Lord, we just come before you in adoration of the sort of God that you are, a God who journeys with us, a God who meets us in our despair, in our discovery. You encounter us. You love us individually. You love us personally. Yet you are so powerful and awesome and mighty. And you were risen from the grave this this day, 2,000 years ago. We want to give thanks for that fact. And we want to not hold that to ourselves. So, Lord, we pray. Lord, if you've moved in, in one heart this morning, pray that heart, God, would be reinvigorated and motivated to, to live for you, to be on mission for you. Lord, we pray for, yeah, this church, God, that we could take ground that we can take ground for your kingdom in this community, in the areas that we influence at work, in our schools, in our unis, in our families, in our friends. Lord, may this message that we have heard today, God, be spread amongst all our areas of influence. Lord, we want to see the gospel lived out. We want to see people come to you to know and have their hearts burn for you, Lord. And so we pray, God, this, the rest of the day as we enjoy food with one another, we pray you bless into our bodies. We pray you bless the hands that prepared or organized the food. Lord, may we celebrate today the fact that you are risen and you are risen indeed. And God, we um, just commit ourselves into your hands now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, feel free to come up. Um, no need to rush over to what I'm sure is delicious food, but... If God has done something in you, please come up and uh, I'm sure someone would love to pray for you. Thank you.